Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is my good friend, brother in Christ, Micah. Micah, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. It's fun to fun to be with you again. Yeah, it's good to chat with you and catch up a little bit. It's, it's fun. Um, so welcome back to the show, brother. And can you uh, catch us up on what's happening uh, since we last talked out here? I I think it was like a couple of years ago. So maybe yeah. update us on your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project wise? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, like I said, it's good to be back. Um, I think, I, yeah, I guess it was two years ago. I was on with uh, the release of the the book on Thomas Patient, and uh, so I have another book uh, that's has just come out. And so, thanks for uh, letting me come on and talk about it. Um, I'm married to Kristen. She's my uh, middle school girlfriend. We went to uh, homecoming in seventh grade together, which is a great picture. And so, uh, nice. she's the love of, love of my life, and um, really kind of. I'm so thankful for her. And um, I'm, uh, we have two children, Mason and Kenley, and they're both teenagers now. So we're in the busy, fun, uh, crazy teenage years. And um, main thing I do is I'm the pastor of Redeemer Church in Denton, Texas. Um, we um, Denton is our hometown and we planted, we launched the church in 2014. And um, it's just been a wonderful ride. We really love our church. Uh, there's a real commitment to expositional preaching and reformed uh, soteriology and, and just a really missionary uh, posture to the community. And uh, by God's grace, uh, over the last couple of years in particular, the church has, has nearly doubled. And so um, it's been exciting and we're praising God for that and also just trying to trying to keep up, uh, honestly. And so this hired a new worship pastor who's been phenomenal for us. And we're about to send out our student pastor to plant a church in, in Louisiana. Wow. And so a lot going on at Redeemer. And in addition That's to that, cool. I, yeah, I coach and, and recruit church planters uh, through the Denton Baptist Association send church planting effort. And I, I teach biblical worldview at my daughter's Christian school and do some <laughs> biblical counseling and juggle and, yeah. you know, I don't know. So I get yeah. I have opportunities. How many how many different hats do you wear on a day? <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's a it's a goofy it's a goofy schedule. So yeah, but it, yeah. it's fun. You know, it's as we look at it, and when I feel overwhelmed by it, it's like, man, I just I love all of it, and I feel a real privilege to get to do it all. Obviously, especially with the church. So more than anything, I'm called to just be a, a local church pastor, and we really love our people. So yeah. You definitely have a pastor's heart and I, <laughs> thank that, you. that shows through it. So thank, thank you. you. It's kind. Yeah. Well, brother, can you tell us about this uh, commentary, the gospel according to Micah, a crystal centric commentary, why you wrote it and how, how you, uh, how you hope it'll be received? Yeah. Well, at the, at the end of the day or the, the short of it is, is it's a commentary on the old Testament book of Micah and it is a terrible title because my name is also Micah. So it is it is not a, a manual to a cult that I'm starting. So I can, it's, the other title options were worse than that. So this is what we landed on. But oh, it's, a, it, 
it's a great title, I think, because it really gets to what I think is kind of the unique, uh, the uniqueness of the commentary in that it really emphasizes the gospel in the book of Micah. Um, and so as the subtitle says, it's a Christocentric commentary. So really what I think is unique about the book is it really helps people see Jesus in the pages of Micah. And so I'm, I'm really trying to help readers uh, see the good news of the book. And so it's a, it's an, uh, you know, it's an attempt. And I think uh, it's sort of unique because uh, a lot of prophetic books are filled with these wild images and cutting rebukes uh, against injustice, uh, but also kind of tucked away in the book of Micah is this, what I think is the best summary of the law in the Bible, Micah 6, mm-hmm. 8. Um, and so when you think of the book of Micah, you think rebuke, you think law, but you don't always think gospel. And so this is kind of my attempt to help people understand um, that really embedded in these really powerful prophetic rebukes against injustice, um, you know, that, that there's, you know, there's a gospel in there. And I think many times um, people have have wrongly and rightly approached injustice. And so they've you know, people have used the book of Micah rightly, I think, um, by grabbing those powerful images, those powerful rebukes against injustice, against things like racism and oppression. Martin Luther King, for example, used the prophets, you know, in a, in a really wonderful way. But I think sometimes the prophets can be used wrongly in that they don't understand that the ultimate solution or the application of those rebukes is the gospel. And so, a book like Micah, uh, and, and there's historic examples of this happening, that the that the message of Micah is not a moralistic call to vote a certain way. <laughs> the message of Micah is the gospel. And so it's been it's been used wrongly, I think, by a lot of uh social justice warriors, maybe who cherry pick a verse like Micah 6 8 or um in chapter four, you know, beating uh, uh, plowshares, swords into plowshares, things like that. They're wonderful images. They're important images, but I think they're misused a lot. And so anyway, that's that's my prayer is that, you know, as a, pa- a pastor and a small group leader is maybe uh, planning on teaching the book of Micah, that this commentary would kind of be, you know, one that they grab and, and, and related. And maybe the last thing I'll say on this is that um, the 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 title was already a mess, but I wanted to include this in it somewhere. But it, it's a homiletical commentary, so it's not a technical commentary. It's not delving into Hebrew grammar. It's not tracing the meaning of terms. Um, there's great resources to provide that help, but this really highlights a Christocentric theology in the book for someone who's teaching it or preaching it. So I I really like all of that, and I know that we're going to get into more of that in a little bit, but. Um, you know, guys, I was privileged to write an endorsement on this mm-hmm. this commentary. Thank you, Micah. And thank uh, you. This thank you. And what I appreciate, I'll just summarize it basically. I appreciate how you're, you know, focused on the Bible and the text of scripture and, and how it points to scripture, but not only that, but how can we see Christ in the book of Micah mm-hmm. and, and in the minor prophets? So I said this last sentence, whether you are a new or a seasoned Bible teacher, this Micah commentary by Micah contains serious <laughs> scholarship firmly rooted in the biblical text and points readers to Christ. So the people of God will grow in the word and serve one another in love in the local church. So I think it's really yeah. good. brother. It's very kind. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, why does the book of Micah matter? 
A great question. I, you know, as I've, you know, reflected on that, I, I think Micah matters because the gospel is kind of like this beautiful, flawless, colorless diamond that like initially wows you, but the more you gaze upon it, the more stunning it becomes. I I think that's a great image of the gospel. And so what Micah does is it provides kind of an angle or a perspective of the gospel that I think makes the gospel even better news than what you previously thought it to be. And so further related, Micah does speak to issues like injustice, but it does it in a more gospel grounded way that that many in our culture, um, I think, are, are, are trying to bring about justice in ways separate from the gospel. And so it really enables the gospel, I think, to be more glorious and more beautiful. So the book matters because there is still injustice in the world. And the church needs to preserve this prophetic voice about those things. However, we need to to keep our calls for, you know, against injustice. We need to keep it tethered to the gospel. And so Mm -hmm. Micah really not only makes the gospel more beautiful, but I think it gives us some kind of gospel boundaries on thinking through some of these issues. That's why I think it matters. Mm, That's really good. And And I think this book would be, I think it's fair enough to say that it's pretty neglected. I think so. Yeah. Um, You don't see, you don't see too much um, preaching or teaching Mm -hmm. the Maya prophets. You don't see many books written. I mean, commentaries. Yes. But like books Mm -hmm. helping, uh, helping the average person to read or understand, you know, the, the minor prophets. Um, So how did Jesus and the apostles uh, handle the old Testament minor prophets? You know, I, I think that that's one of the great questions that kind of informs this particular commentary. And in the most direct way that I think that I can answer that question is that they handled the Old Testament minor prophets by interpreting them through a Jesus lens, like they saw all of it according to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So they didn't separate uh, what Jesus was doing and fulfilling the law from the prophets. So they saw the prophets that's pointing to Christ. So in other words, they, I believe that they interpreted the prophets Christocentrically. And just in the interest of time, I'll just briefly reference two passages of that. But Christ, of course, on the road to Emmaus account in Luke 24, you know, he interprets all the law and all the prophets according to him. And now that doesn't mean that he sat there with those uh, two men and, and, and recited the entirety of the Old Testament or anything, um, but but he does interpret it according to himself. Mm. And then I think you see it more specifically with Peter at Pentecost in Acts 2, where he's quoting Joel. And, you know, I mean, he's he's quoting these prophets according to the gospel and making calls. The application of it is Jesus is here. This is the one it pointed to. Therefore, repent and believe. Um, so that's how I think that they handled the minor prophets Christocentrically. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's good. How how should pastors and Bible teachers uh, preach Jesus from the book of Micah? Well, one of my convictions about writing this, this book was not just to provide a commentary, but actually to also provide some tools. And and I think maybe this is the real gem of the book is it's just some tools to help other preachers and teachers discover Jesus uh, in the book of Micah. And, and really to that end, I, I lean pretty heavily on Sidney Gradanus's Seven Ways to Christ. And his seven ways are the redemptive or our redemptive historical progression, 
promise fulfillment, typology, analogy, longitudinal themes, New Testament reference, and then contrast. And so I think all of those, and really uh, most of those are found, I think, clearly in the book of Micah. Uh, but but I think, uh, you know, depending on how you handle those, th- there is some freedom on interpreting it uh, accordingly. But those are kind of the ways, those seven ways, I think, are the best way preachers and teachers can can teach Jesus from a book like Micah. And that's so I take some time in the commentary to kind of explain those ways. And then as you read through the commentary, those are those are demonstrated and in, in how the text is treated. Yeah. So let's say somebody comes up to you from your church, right? Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, you know, you've written this book on, you know, this commentary on, you know, we're talking not not one of your elders, but like just an average person in the pew. And they're struggling. Maybe they they say to you, maybe they don't say this to you, but, you know, in the back of their mind, like I skipped through reading the Minor Prophets. I treat the book of numbers like, you know, you know, numbers and, you know, those things, because it can be hard to read through. So what would you say, you know, to somebody who, you know, they might even not ever ask you that question, but what would you, yeah. what would you say to somebody on a podcast? They're listening and, you know, they want to know how to read and understand the prophets, the minor prophets, especially. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start with an easy one and then maybe get to a harder one, but of course, an easy one is Micah 5, 2, but Judah Bethlehem of Ephrath, who is too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me. One who is to be ruler in Israel who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now, all the, you know, the Jewish rabbis of Jesus's day understood that that's talking about the Messiah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And so when you're teaching Micah 5, you have to see that. And that's referenced in the New Testament. So you have to acknowledge the New Testament reference that's there. Um, and so part of teaching it is, is to recognize, okay, you know, that's a, that's a New Testament reference. How do we get to Jesus, you know, from that particular text? Um, and so, you know, th- now that's an easy one, the, the New Testament, you know, New Testament reference. But then if like if you jump up uh, in chapter four, you have uh, verse three, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. It's a beautiful image, powerful image. Uh, the the uh, communist, uh, the, especially the Russian communist, used that image, and there's actually a, a UN statue uh, with that image. Okay, so these are atheistic people using that image. Now, obviously, they were trying to to bring about that day, which I think trying to bring about that day is a virtuous thing. Now, they were trying to bring it about in kind of an atheistic communistic approach. And we would say, well, wait a second, like th- I think in that verse, it's good to say hey, how that how people have used that verse, but then use it and say, hey, th- but there's a better way, which is the gospel. And so maybe even contrasting it the way people use that verse and say, this is how they use it, but this is how it's going to be fulfilled with Christ. Or maybe do something like a um, a redemptive historical progression about how this is you know, used initially and then eventually or promise of fulfillment. You know, I think that there's a promise fulfillment thing going on there that uh, that, that's a promise. I don't think that that's happened yet. Um, I think when Christ returns, that will happen. That's when it will be ultimately fulfilled. Um, And so those are those are different ways of using, you know, Gradanus's ways to get to Christ on, on a couple of passages. 
that's really does that answer your question is that what you yeah yeah i think i think yeah yeah, i think so that just you know that average christian reading and studying you know the minor prophets what you know what should they look for so i think that i Mm -hmm. think that's really good here's a big question for that i'm sure (laughs) both of us will go back and forth on a bit uh Mm -hmm. what why does expository preaching rest on the authority of the bible yeah i i kind of think of it maybe in a different direction of like why I don't see a real like reason to explain and apply the Bible to people's lives in a way that's like, I don't know, w- without it being inerrant and authoritative. Um, I mean, I, I don't I, I don't understand the purpose of it beyond something that is kind of a, a, a vague view of wisdom or to give somebody authority or something. I don't know. So. Um, I think it's central. I think inerrancy and and the related issues of its authority are the ground for why we do expository preaching. And, and, and you know, as as people attempt to to do it, their explanations, their act, their applications, it's not going to lead to salvation and sanctification if it's not grounded on the authority of the word. And and I've mm. I thought of a couple of examples of this. There's a and I. I'll just leave his name out, but um, there, there's a popular psychologist today who I, I think has a really good voice and is saying good things in our culture. But he regularly, he's, I, I, to my knowledge, he's not a believer, and he's regularly referencing the scriptures. And you know, he'll make an argument like, "Man, I'm with you. I think that's, I think that's really helpful and right." And then he'll reference the scriptures on something, and I'm like, eh, "I, you, you know, you're." That's not how I would interpret it. I wouldn't apply it to that scenario. And so I think he's constantly missing the point as he quotes scripture because he doesn't view it as authoritative. He doesn't view it as inerrant. Um, And so, you know, people can can cite a Bible verse, um, but cite it in the wrong way. And so and that's typically done, not always, but that's typically done when they don't uh, embrace the inerrancy and authority of scripture. And and listen, the the citation from, you know, uh, Micah 4. You know, that is a that was a, a real image for atheistic communist movement, especially in Russia. And so they they were just doing it wrong. Right. I mean, they were they were quoting the verse in, in a way that I think was never intended to be quoted. And I think that goes back to someone's view of the authority and inerrancy of Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think one other thing to add is 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 often those people that we know say they believe in inerrancy, they believe in what we would call partial inerrancy mm-hmm. meaning that they think that it's partially inspired which is why i make the case in my my you know new book that we should actually use the word infallible because it actually strengthens and buttresses our understanding of of yeah. inerrancy um and it, it kind of just pushes those away that pushes those away i think that's probably the wrong way to say it but it 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 forces those i'll say who think that the bible have contradictions and those kind of things to really admit that their view of inerrancy is actually incompatible with the the meaning of the word. Yeah, that's good. And so I think, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right though. I mean, expository preaching rests on the authority of the Bible. If you don't have an authoritative view of the Bible, you're, whether you preach or teach, you're always going to come to the wrong conclusion. And I think so. If you come to the wrong conclusion, then you're teaching falsely. Yeah. What's the point? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we 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 could kick this around a bit. I mean, you have people who are I don't even I don't even say call them I I don't even use the word progressive Christian anymore. I just call it theological liberalism. 
yeah. which is an older, older way of saying the same thing. But that way people don't think that it's Christian because it's it's not. But this is what they do. They they would reverse this. They would say, we don't believe in the authority of the Bible. And so it's all about my feelings and those yeah. kind of things. And then that has, as 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 we're talking about, has dramatic impact on the preaching ministry of the church that as as reformed brothers, we would say to our to our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, if you don't have expository preaching, you know, you got to look at the view of the Bible and how it's being, how it's being handled, because that'll show you what, what they actually think about the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this is a, this is an issue, not only in theological liberalism, it's an issue that we're seeing. And I'm sure, you know, and heard me talk about on this show many times, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is the issue that I don't think that, too many people are willing to even say out loud, unfortunately, and we have to say it out loud because it's a real threat uh, to the work of the of what of what God wants to do in and through our local churches. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, at our church, we just have a real commitment to expositional preaching, and and it really gives guardrails that are needed. You know, I mean, I have a lot of opinions about all sorts of stuff, but. Um, I don't share them because I'm a pastor and I don't share them in the pulpit because I'm trying to stay true to the text. That's what's authoritative, not my little view on whatever <laughs> dumb view that I have on something. But and and I think that that's that becomes helpful when there's a temptation to say, oh, I've got to speak into every issue and make my case like that. You know, your case for something is not what is authoritative in the sense of transforming, saving someone and sanctifying someone. Yeah. It's a good lecture. I'm not saying there's not a place for those things. I'm just saying, yeah, you know, in the preaching of the word, I just think that's something different. I remember our, I remember uh, my pastor in one of my pastors in Idaho, he was a pastor for 45 years and he, he would say something kind of similar to what you just said. He would say, when you're teaching, don't just focus on the content, you know, also focus on the people. And Amen. at first I'm like, I, at first I was kind of like, I don't know, like I am giving the reason I'm giving the content is mm -hmm. the people, but actually he wanted me to focus more on, you know, using the the truth to speak mm -hmm. into people's lives and to help them to, like you're saying in the, in the pulpit and whether you're in Bible class or your, or Bible or teaching a, you know, a small group or a podcast. Right. He's wanting you to focus on speaking the truth to actually minister to people. And I think that's a point that Other. like you're making is so often missed. It's just, okay, we're going to give you a sermon. Well, actually what you're doing is you're giving a lecture unless you're focusing on mm -hmm. ministering to people and speaking mm -hmm, mm -hmm. live. Um, you know, it took me a long time to really think about that and to, to, to get, kind of what maybe I should have asked more questions, but you know, it took me a bit to to get that uh that whole idea. But now that I've got it, I'm like, yeah, it makes more sense. And you see that with the with Jesus and the apostles and yeah, you know, those whom, you know, in church history, you know, like Calvin and others. And you know, it, it took me a bit to get it as well. And it it really took you know, doctoral work with Moeller at, at Southern Seminary to really put those pieces together that, um, you know, how does the gospel infuse that sermon? 
in, in, in the Gradena stuff, how to being Christocentric in a book like Micah, it's it's it takes some work to get there sometimes. Sometimes it's not obvious. And but the work is important because you're ministering to real people with real needs. And so every passage or every sermon from every passage should call the the preacher and the teacher to say, okay, what do we need to turn from? What do we need to believe here? And, and I go so far as to say, well, what also, what if you've blown it? Like, like, even if you're a believer, what if you're not living that way? Like, how do you repent and believe again? And, you know, so I think asking those questions, those kind of fallen condition focused questions um, are, are really helpful uh, to make sure that the sermon is not a lecture, but it's really ministering to real people in that room. That That's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, brother. What historical and theological issues should people be aware of as Christians read and study the minor prophets? Did Did you already answer that? I haven't. And I, you know, I think I take some time in the in the commentary to just kind of unpack some of those historical and theological issues just to kind of kind of properly ground a student in that book. Um, you know, you can go deeper probably in other commentaries on any of those topics. But but I try to give enough to really ground them in it to understand, OK, this sits within the divided kingdom period. This Mike is probably, a, you know, he's overlapping with Isaiah. You know who King Hezekiah was, uh, but also things like Day of the Lord and how how there's a paradoxical nature uh, to the Day of the Lord. So I think some of those are, are some of the key, you know, historical and theological points uh, that mm-hmm. you seem to for, be familiar with. that kind of helps frame the context of the book. And so that's treated some of the commentary as well. Yeah, there is a lot of historical context where if if you're just reading and you're glossing over the the, mm-hmm. the text or even listening to it, it's like in the gospels. So much in the gospels is cultural background, and you have Absolutely. to really understand the cultural background. So don't just read your. I mean, do read your Bible. Yeah, but get, dig into that, and once you start understanding that uh, those things more, your your Bible reading will be even more enriched. And and I think that's one of the challenges with Micah in that, you know, I think the average Christian has a little bit better sense of kind of the cultural context of the gospel period, you know, and, and it may be like Exodus period, but like those minor prophets, they're kind of, and the prophets are kind of sit within a, a, a just a, a more confusing cultural moment for most of us. And so it does take a little more work to, you know, kind of hit the, you know, it, at the very least hit the high points of, of what's going on in that context to better understand it. Yeah, that's good. What is the main message and the goal of Micah? Well, I just kind of thought about that. I thought, well, man, you've got to purchase the commentary to get the full picture, but (laughs) my one dad joke, my one bad joke, I I get one dad, bad dad joke in there. And there it was. Bad Um, bad joke, Micah. Micah. Thank you. How's that? How's that? Yes. That's even worse. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. I um, I think I believe the gospel according to Micah is really found in the meaning of his name. And this is where, you know, all the titles we came up with for this were a mess. And so gospel according to Micah is the best we could do. But being that this is my name, um, I've kind of had a unique experience of really pondering the meaning of that name for, for most of my life. And it really began um, when I was a, a young child, there was a a Christian bookstore in town and they had these little 
these little uh, plaques where they would have a name, you know, and then it would kind of give the Hebrew or the Greek meaning of the name. And so my parents gave me that as a gift at one point. And so I just had that in my room as a kid growing up. And the the way my name was described was one who was like Jehovah. Hmm. Now, I took that as a statement that meant I was supposed to be like God. So it was a call to righteousness. And, th- and that's how I've always understood my name. Now, there's a lot of Micahs out there in the world today, but I literally was in high school before I knew another person named Micah. And so I was constantly as a kid, you know, people were mispronouncing my name. And uh, is it Mikey? Is it what? what's your name? You know, and then people would always say, well, I know a girl named Micah. And I would say, thank you. Uh, you know, but then it was just it was so I pondered a lot my name because it was kind of a unique name. And, and I landed on, OK, it's a call to righteousness. But I, I actually think after this this study of the book of Micah, it's probably be better understood. And this is at the in the final chapter when the book closes, uh, chapter seven, verse 18. Um, I think that the the meaning of the name Micah is really less of a statement and it's more of a question. It, and it's more of a question that's intended to be about worship instead of one who is like God, thus go be like God. I think it's really better understood as who is like God. Mm. The answer being no one. Isn't God so glorious that no one is like him? So God is the good news uh, of the of the book of Micah. He's the message. He's the goal. And so I think it's a, less of a call to go be good, but more of a call to worship this glorious God. Mm. That's cool. I like it. Are there any application points from Micah that are particularly relevant to Christians in our own day? Yeah, I I think the most significant aspect of Micah uh, that, that's really particularly relevant for today is I think, it, again, it, it provides these gospel bumpers for us or, or gospel boundaries, especially kind of for social justice warriors. And, and I think um, I think it's very important, and I think maybe for those of us who are on the right, I think it's important for us to hear from a book like Micah to say we should work for justice. I, I and and I think, you know, we need to be careful not to say, hey, we don't want to be this, and thus we're not going to work for justice. Well, I think a book of Micah says no, we should preserve our prophetic voice in our communities and even in our country. But we should be doing it different than how unbelievers do it. And so the the classic example of this is Micah 6, 8. He's told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, number one. Number two, and to love kindness. And then number three, to walk humbly with your God. And so I think some people need to hear or, or maybe even heed the call of Micah 6, 8 to do justice. And I think that that's probably more people on the right, conservative folks like myself, need to be reminded we need to do justice. However, I see many who seek to do justice in ways that are not loving and kind. <laughs> I've had friends on the left be very unkind and unlo- really kind of ugly and hard. I've seen, see, now that can be on the right too. I'm not trying to necessarily make this political, but I think. It gives us that bumper that we we can't divorce doing justice from being loving and being kind. And then that fine that final leg of the stool is to walk humbly with God. And so I do think there are a lot of people trying to do justice 
divorced from walking humbly with God. And what you're left with is kind of this moralistic spirituality. And anytime it becomes moralistic, meaning that it's done out of your own strength, Mm. not tethered to walking humbly with God, then it ultimately is going to turn mean. It's going to ultimately turn harsh. Um, and it eventually will turn oppressive and even tyrannical. And so that's where I think a, a book like Micah is very helpful for us in our day. And, and listen, I, I put my cards on the table. I mean, I have real concerns about kind of the woke mob in this in this country. Any mobs <laughs> I'm nervous about. Um, but, but I think uh, the church has an opportunity with a book like Micah to offer something that is better and offer something that's more beautiful uh, than, than what we're seeing in some of those camps, you know, because it is working for justice mm. and it's fine to say, yes, that's injustice. And I want to work for justice, but I want to do it in a way that is, uh, that is loving and kind. I want to do it in a way that's tethered to humbly walking with God, empowered by the spirit. Um, and I just find that, functionally practically better but i find it more beautiful as well yeah i think that's i think that's good and you know one of the things i think in you know especially in the last couple of years that we've just to kind of take this a little bit further that we've seen you know let me say up front i we've had Vody, we've had owen we've had other jeffrey johnson on you know those are like the three books that have really kind of exposed you know the 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 evilness the of of CRT and wokeism and all of that um but i think one thing that can be said even with that you know it can be given you can give the impression and i don't think these men do give this impression i just mm-hmm. want to be clear um i have a high regard for all three of them otherwise i wouldn't have had them on here yeah. um, so but but we can we can think and again this isn't of these men saying this this is just the impression can be given is that okay so we're against all those things but then what is biblical justice amen and again yeah. i'm not saying that these men haven't defined those things or anything yeah, yeah. Like that and not been clear about them they definitely have but um we have to be we have to be so clear in our day about we are against sex trafficking like you said we are against you know abortion Mm -hmm. um and justice does feel something the justice of god being satisfied Mm. fully and forever and finally you know the death of christ is Mm. it it fuels the the work of justice and you know Mm. we we have we have to be clear about the extra clear about that uh super I, i think even painstakingly clear like i like i just tried to be because we have so many movements in our day mm. that are, you know, we we are seeing the social gospel, mm-hmm. which I think I think that the social go- the social justice movement is the is is a fruit of the the, you know, the the social gospel. Some people don't go there. I think that there are parallels to that, um, and, and in terms of the theology, maybe the application is a little bit different, but. You know, I think that in our in our day, we have to be extra clear about that and that we, like you said, for both sides, both of them don't have a balance. And we have to be balanced on this because it is it, it, if you if you get this order wrong, you get the gospel wrong. And that may, that makes it that makes it a very, very important issue. You know, it, it's not that we're against ministries of mercy or those things, but but 
the first and foremost priority that informs those ministries of justice uh, is is the gospel, not the Amen. other way around. And, and we're seeing we're seeing the 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 rise of of the opposite. It's the ministries of mercy that are feeling, you know, the 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 gospel, and that's that's a false gospel. Um, but we ha- we have to, yeah, like you fair. said, we have to we have to be clear about that and and um i know that there's some people that don't like me talking about this they get really uncomfortable when i do and it's not something that i really want to talk about either but it's something like you're saying that we have to be balanced on um because it is it is a really important thing it's it's really important in our day to be against the sex trafficking things that are happening in our country that next to nobody wants to touch with within a 10-foot pole you know uh i'm like let's we gotta we gotta talk about it we we gotta have a conversation about not just being pro-life but ending uh the legislation behind it that that supports the killing of babies um at a state level at a federal level all of it 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 all matters um and um so anyway and all that is because of the gospel it it fuel it does something It, it the foundation of it um, matters and then that foundation provides a reason for why we engage in, in these matters and so you know yeah i think i've had a unique experience of of kind of literally growing up in the pro-life movement and uh, my parents uh, were kind of a key couple in starting our local crisis pregnancy center and and i now serve on the board uh, with it and to me watching some some different you know, um, fads and trends and ideas passed through over the years. The the crisis pregnancy centers of the pro-life movement, I think they're ground zero on the model for gospel grounded uh, works of service and mercy ministries. You know, at, at our uh, at our center, I mean, the gospel is shared and, and it's done in ways that are not abrasive. And, you know, and even we hey, can we can we sit down and talk with you about spiritual things? You know, so it's done in ways that um, are are clear and direct, but aren't abrasive. Uh, but we also minister to, you know, a real ethical <laughs> life issue that affects real scared women. You know, that her boyfriend's not pregnant. She is. And it's affecting her life in ways that are that are different than him. And so in. You know, uh, you know, we provide classes, we provide uh, clothes, we provide diapers. And so it's we minister to the whole woman, <laughs> uh, yeah, spiritual and otherwise. That. And so it, it but it is all grounded on the gospel. And so the pro-life movement has been the model for this. And so it, it can be done. You don't have to, you know, throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater on some of these issues. You know, you can you can do works of service in your community in ways that are grounded in the gospel. And I think we have a evangelicalism has a long, glorious history of doing just that. Yeah. And those ministries, as generations go by, are better because of it, because they haven't lost their soul. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of those hope clinics uh centers as well because they do help people they help they provide a place where people can go to receive actual help and i don't i don't know any church where i've been at where i've been a member of in the last decade that hasn't supported or given directly to one of those ministries and i'm i'm thankful for that you've been a good church there's 
I have been by God's grace. You know, <laughs> the Lord has been the Lord has been kind. Um, you know, and and the other thing is, is there's people that you know do want to end abortion, but but the way in which they go about it, we have a huge issue here in Southern Oregon. I'm not going to name the church. Those of you who are local, you know who I'm probably going to mention. But we have a church here who's gone basically Westboro Baptist, and this is mm. a this is a big problem. You, 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 being against and ending and wanting to end, you know, abortion is a good thing. It is a biblical thing. Um, you know, God is against murder. The word murder, actually, it's interesting. Some people say the 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 idea of fighting against abortion isn't in the Bible. Well, the actual word for murder, um, actually, def- in in the Ten Commandments, actually, it means to assail or to slay intentionally. That pretty much fits the definition of what an abortion is. Yeah, I think so. Um, so it, you know, it's a premeditated, intentional act by and large. You know, there might be some other, you know, things that we could talk about. You know, but just definitionally, that's yeah. What we're and, and and my encouragement: listen to average believers. Uh, okay, listen, understand. Don't be the extreme. Okay, don't don't yeah. be the the weird extreme. Don't be Westboro Baptist. Okay, but that's yeah. not where most of us live. All right, like be about the work of justice and righteousness and mercy in the gospel in your community. Like 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 don't because somewhere in some corner of somewhere, some guy's doing some weird extreme of something, keep you from participating in good kingdom gospel centered work in your community. Okay. We can always find goofy extremes and, and and you can find that in any movement. I mean, if you want to hold that standard up for the church, that's fine, but hold it up to your political party as well. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. it's, we're, we're made up of people. There's weird extremes. Don't be the weird extreme, yeah. but do, but do the work with wisdom and discernment grounded in the gospel. And we need to be also with winsome in our, and our approach and, Amen. you know, asking questions and, you know, of one another in, in these things. You know, if we see a brother in air, we should go to them. We should ask sure. a question. What, what, what are you thinking about here? What, what's, what's fueling this, you know, kind of behavior, this doc, we would take a, that would be more like a biblical counseling approach uh, where we're coming, trying to come alongside and, you know, find out, discover, um, give the benefit of the doubt. And then, have a dialogue and a discussion. Mm. And sometimes we are going to disagree even passionately on, you know, the, the, the outworking of various doctrines and how they should, you know, be applied. But we, we should, we should love at the end of the day, we, like you're saying, we should love one another. Um, Jesus said in John 13, 35, that's how the world would know us. And so mm. this is a, this is a matter of not only, you know, one of the things I think that we miss in the church today is is that our character informs our witness. Mm. We want to talk so much about our witness, and we don't mm. talk enough about our character. Oh, and that is uh, that's that's a that's a mistake. That's that's the actually the same. If if we want to draw this even. If, if if you want me to really meddle, I'll go there. I, man, hey, man, I'm, about, I'm sitting here thinking you're, you're getting on one of my soapboxes. I'm about to go about to go for another hour here. Yeah. But, uh, but, but um, anyway, we we definitely could go. Uh, as as people know, you get you get you get you get two preachers uh, yeah. fired up. You're you're never gonna get off. Yeah, it's about to be an eight hour show. This is never gonna be done. This is gonna be a just thinking episode from right. uh, uh, three hours here. So yeah. Anyways, well, brother, uh, enjoying it. Uh, where where can people go to find out find out more about you on social media? Otherwise. 
Yeah. I mean, Hey, I'm not a platform guy. I'm a pastor, but, um, but if any, anything I've said is of interest to you, um, uh, our, our church website is redeemerdenton.com. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I, I have a blog, uh, micacaswell.com. Um, so th- those are, yeah. those are the places you can find me. You, you forgot to add, you write at Servants of Grace, brother. And servants are hey man, we got three blogs that are up there yeah, right now. Yeah, so, what's up? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start sharing them now. So yeah, I'm I'm excited nice. about that. Th- thank yeah. you for the opportunity to get to do that. So yeah, and to I, be on I, the show today, brother. I mean, this yeah, is a real yeah. treat, and yeah. and your endorsement was really really added a lot of. I added, I, added the, yeah. I added the power, the power. The well, I was about to say prestige to the whole thing, but I oh, think it I did, would, but I didn't want to. Yeah. No, yeah, no thinking, I would not yeah, go that far. Yeah. Was, maybe, maybe it declined the prestige of the bank. <laughs> maybe, maybe hurt the value of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just as we, uh, just as we wrap up, brother, uh, do you have any takeaways for those who listen and watch the show? Yeah. I think maybe to close, um, you know, I, what I found is I think a lot of people are intimidated to preach or teach a book like Micah. I mean, we're, we're so many centuries removed from it that it can be difficult to handle the context. Um, you know, it's in that prophetic genre, which is many times, you know, difficult, I think, for us to to handle. And, OK, you know, how do we preach and teach something like that today? But but Micah is a great book to preach and teach. I feel like you know, this is less of a commercial about the the commentary, more the actual book, which I think is great. Um, it's a great book to preach and teach in the church. Compared to Isaiah, which is, again, probably, you know, their contemporaries. Isaiah is tough to preach and teach just because it's so long. So you got to yeah. you probably got to do it in pieces. Micah, you don't have to to break it into pieces to, to, to pieces. It, it's a great teachable length is what I have found. Um, and it addresses many of the same themes, but it's also a great book to preach and teach um, because it it has all of those themes. It's, um, you know, like all the prophets, there's wild, crazy stuff that I find very interesting. Uh, but it's but anyway, I, I just think it's um, it's a better preaching and teaching unit and you can access a lot of the same themes. There's some familiar things and it. It, it forces you into some good conversation. So I, I really Pray that with this book, that, that more pastors and, and church leaders, you know, not only grab the commentary, but really consider teaching Micah in their churches. That'd be, that would be a good thing. The minor prophets are neglected and they're needed. And so. Your book is, your book, guys, uh, this commentary, excuse me, the gospel according to Micah, a Christocentric commentary. You guys know that when I endorse a book, I do not, I read every word. In fact, I've told people, I've told people on the show. I've actually gotten some pushback uh, from people when I do this, but when I see anything uh, that I maybe don't agree with or I'm like, this needs to be fixed, um, I will actually tell an author. And I've gotten – I've actually lost people uh, following me. They do not like that. Um, mm. But I, I think that – I think that just just – I bring that up not to critique those people on the show, but just to say – if you're writing, if you're speaking, be open to that because, mm. you know, editing, I, I've said the writer writes and the editor edits. And um, I've, I've got, I get edited pretty hard, especially by my wife. Some people would be like, wow, they, they would find that be unbelievable. But it's such a gift 
um, and yeah. I give my wife a hard time. I'm like, you only gave me like 200 edits for a one page <laughs> article. You know, you let me down. And and I and she smiles and she laughs because um, there's a there's a long story of that. But when I first started writing, she uh, she she would have me print out double space things and then mark every single word, every single, yeah. you know, grammatical yeah. instance yeah. was so so know that when you know i'm endorsing these these books um i read every article i i take it or i ever take every word read every word i should say and uh this is a very good uh book that commentary that will serve you will help you and so uh thank you brother for your work brother thank you and it's uh and thank you again for just the opportunity to be on the show blessings Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.